Bye, babe. <laughs> Take your Bibles this morning and open them to the 11th chapter of Acts. This is in-gathering day, and this is a special day in our church. <clears throat> and um, uh, we're going to, uh, uh, we are going to emphasize our uh, mission offering and our giving. And, um, you know, I just w- want to think um, I want us to think about that together for just a moment because, you know, uh, this is a very individual thing we do. Uh, you know, worship is individual. Uh, not everybody in here today, I guess, is going to worship. Some will, some will not. Worship is going to be exalting Christ, exalting the Lord, coming before him. And, uh, and uh, maybe you will, maybe you won't. I mean, maybe, you know, you've already checked out and edited, or maybe, you know, you're just right there uh, waiting on the Lord, you know, just to show himself mighty. Anyway, worship is an individual thing. Giving is a very individual thing. And giving is part of our worship. But, but something that I want us to see or I want us to get from all of this is that we are in this together. I mean, the church does this, okay? The church worships together. The church gives together this, this mission offering that we're receiving and that we're going to send uh, to support missionaries, you know, to the ends of the earth is, is something that we do together. The church is not the walls here, and the church uh, uh, does not uh, stand here 24-7. The church really is only here whenever, you know, whenever we as God's people uh, are here. So, so this worship, this giving, this in-gathering, right, is something that we are together. And beloved, because we are people of the book, the scripture guides us. The reason we do this is not because, you know, somebody tells us, well, you ought to, you ought to be, you know, uh, given to missions or you ought to be helping missionaries or you ought to be going to places like Lesotho. We don't do this because somebody tells us about it. There's not a denomination out there that says, hey, y'all ought to do this. Now, the denomination helps facilitate it, but they don't tell us what to do or what not to do. What does? How, what guides us? And the answer is the Scripture. We are people of the book. We are a New Testament church. We find our origin as a church. And again, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about us as the people. We find our origin together in the Word of God, in particular the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to look at a passage today. And we find uh, what we believe and how we work and how we do, uh, what, what all that we do, it comes directly from the Word of God. So before we uh, do this thing that we that we do once a year, this, this mission in gathering. I want us to go to God's Word and just kind of remind ourselves, I guess, exactly who we are and why we do this and how it, and how it works out, okay? Are you with me? Are you going to allow me to do that? All right, so in Acts chapter 11. First of all, Acts, the book of Acts, the entire book, is the, is the story of the church. It really is our heritage, Again, if you want to know where we come from or why we do what we do, you go back to uh, uh, you go back to the Book of Acts. You see, the church is born there in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, when the believers are together, and now Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's given them this great commission 
to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. How are we going to do that? We don't know. What, what is that even going to mean? They're together praying, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And so now the church is the people of God filled by the Holy Spirit, and they go out in the power of the Spirit, and they're out in the street witnessing and testifying, and people are coming uh, you know, to faith. 3,000 that day get saved, and on and on. And as you go through the book of Acts, you find that the church itself birthed there in uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost begins to grow and expand as people grow in Christ, as they're discipled, as they walk with him, as they walk together, as they walk in love. And what you see as you go through this is that, um, that there are barriers placed to the gospel that try to stop the gospel or the church from uh, continuing on or for going. And, and the gospel, turn, it turns out, is able to overcome all those barriers. The people of God filled with the Spirit of God, walking in the love of God together, they're able to overcome all the barriers or anything that would stop the gospel from, um, from being fulfilled or, 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 or would stop the church from fulfilling the Great Commission. I guess let me say it that way, okay? And so, and so everything that comes along, they just, they just go on. And what we find is, is that God is a missionary God. Does God love me? Yes. God loves everybody. I, on, on Wednesday evening when we were uh, at, the, uh, at the prison, I mentioned that, that I... Um, that when we were out there giving our best blessing bags out this Wednesday, and uh, you know, we, uh, you as a church, you might not have recognized this or realized it, but, but we gathered uh, uh, stuff, over 1,200 of each item, and we put it in a bag, and then we delivered it. Every, uh, every inmate out there at the prison got a blessing bag that had all different types of things in it. And as I, I gave them out, and we had a number of guys go out there and, and go cell to cell, we gave them these guys. And I would just tell them, hey, I want you to know you're not forgetting that God loves you. I told one guy, I said, hey, man, I just want you to know that God loves you. And he said, well, God loves everybody. And I thought, well, that's right, right? I mean, God does love everybody, right? I mean, for God so loved the world, Later on that evening, as I was uh, sharing that, I said, but you know, not everybody loves God. That's the problem. God loves everybody, yeah, but not everybody loves God. Well, well, what we see is that God is a missionary God. God loves everybody, and God wants everybody to love him back, right? And so, and so that's why he, he saves people, right? And, and, and God is, a, you know, God is a, a, a saving God. And, and because God is a saving God or a missionary God or a God that is... Uh, is concerned that everybody come to know him or come to love him, then his people are the same way. I mean, if we're people of God, then we're going to be like God, right? We're going to have a heart of God, have the heart like God. And so if God loves everybody, I mean, I guess we got to love everybody too. And if God wants to see everybody saved, then I guess that's got to be our heart too. And that really is kind of the, the foundation or the impetus of church or Christian missions. Why in the world do we, you know, send people off to a place like Lesotho, right, with people that don't even speak the language we speak, you know, we don't even know anything about them, blah, blah, blah. Why would we even do that? Because God loves those folk, and God has called us to go to the ends of the earth to tell about his love, because that's who God is, and because that's who God is, that's who we are, all right? I mean, so does that make sense? Okay, so if it does or not, hang with me. Hopefully, I'll make this thing make sense, all right? So God is this missionary God because God's a missionary God. We're uh, with him. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. 
I got to get myself back to where I was at. That's where we're at in the book of Acts. And the question becomes, well, who can be saved? Because as you're reading through Acts, the first uh, about nine chapters, you find out that only Jews can be saved. So, it's, uh, so Christianity or Christ was for the Jews. I mean, he was a Jew. He died on the cross. First Christians are Jews. And uh, it was just Jews being saved. Then in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter ends up going over to this uh, Gentile's house, a guy who's a non-Jew. His name is Cornelius. And Holy Spirit comes, and, and Cornelius gets saved. And so now you've got people that aren't Jews being, get, uh, getting saved. But the question is, is that really, is that just a one-time thing, or is that for everybody? Okay? And so we can't really be sure. That happened in chapter 10, but now what's going to happen in chapter 11, right? Are we going to go back to just being Jews getting saved? And that's where we're going to pick the story up here in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. It says, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay? So get this. Well, maybe just Jews are supposed to be saved. So we're just going to talk to the Jews because Cornelius might have been a, you know, uh, a, you know, an exemption to the rule, right? Okay, verse 20. But there were some of the men, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. Now, when you read Greeks there, read non-Jews, okay? So these were people who were not Jews. So they're talking now to them as well also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So now a large number of Gentiles are being saved. And uh, verse 22, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. And then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were, called, were first called Christians at Antioch. Verse 27, just a couple more verses. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. And each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. So we find out here in chapter 11 Okay, the Gentiles are going to be allowed to be saved. Not just Cornelius and his family, but now other Gentiles as well. In fact, uh, they just couldn't help it. They just couldn't help but share the love of God to people uh, like uh, Gentiles. And sure enough, these Gentiles started getting saved. And so now we know that Jesus is going to be for everybody. And because of this, or because of what's happening here, it says here, and the most significant verse to me, I think, is down there in verse 26, that they're in Antioch. Because they were doing this, because they were sharing Jesus with everybody, they were showing the love of God. That is, the heart of God, because they're believers, they live in him, God's heart becomes their heart. They're showing the heart of God. Now, the people begin to look at them and say, well, they're Christians, 
They're Christians. They were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, this is very significant. In fact, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. And it's never by Christians. Christians evidently did not start calling themselves Christians until somewhere late in the second century, maybe uh, after the year 200. We start seeing some writings where Christians are calling other Christians Christians. Up until that time, it was unbelievers who were calling Christians Christians, right? So they were looking at these people, and they were saying, man, that guy looks like Jesus. That guy is doing the same thing. She is doing what Jesus did. They love people just like God does. They're doing what, what Jesus was, was always talking about. They are little Christ. That's what the word Christian means, right? And so it was other people. It was kind of a term of derision almost. These Christians, they were known Christians first because of who they were or what they were doing or the way they were living their life or the way they were sharing the love of God or the way they were talking about Jesus. It didn't matter where they went or who it was. They couldn't help but talk about Jesus. And so they were called little Christ or they were called Christians first there. Now, we're still called Christians today, hopefully for good reason. If you're known as a Christian or you're called a Christian, or you think of yourself as a Christian, there's got to be some reason for that, all right? I mean, if we are a Christian church, it's not just because, you know, we have a sign out front. Are we a Christian church? Are we Christians? Why? What does that look like, or who are we to deserve to be called little Christ? Well, that's what I want, to, I want to give you three things this morning from this passage of Scripture. I, under, under the heading, the Christian church, because that's what we are. I'm going to try to bring all this back together to us individually. But remember, we are in this thing together. We are Christians together. We are a church together. Okay, so what does the Christian church do to make it deserve to be called Christian? Or what do individuals do that allow them to be called Christian? All right? Here we go. Three things here. Number one, the Christian church goes. The Christian church goes. I want you to look back at verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, the persecution that began... Uh, or that started with Stephen goes back to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 7 is the story of Stephen, who is a deacon, one of the first deacons. He couldn't help but share his faith. He ran, into, he ran afoul of the religious leaders, and they ended up killing him. Okay, so he was, he, was, he was killed. And out of that, a great persecution arose. They began to, they began to say, we've got to get rid of these Christians. We've got to get rid of these Christ followers. And so they began to go around. They rounded people up. You know, uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was involved in this. They began to go round these people up. Some of them were killed. Some of them thrown in jail. All different. So there was a persecution. And as a result of that, the people left Jerusalem. They were scattered, all right? And geographically, it says that, you know, they went to, some of them went to Phoenicia. That's up north of Israel. Some of them went to Cyprus, which is that big um, 
uh, island in the Mediterranean Sea. Some of them went as far as Antioch, which is all the way up in modern-day Turkey. And so, and so they're being scattered. Watch this. As they're going, they're sharing the gospel. Because look at what it says there in the last part of verse 19. It says, everywhere they went, they were speaking the word. They were sharing Jesus. They couldn't help it. Jesus lived within them, and they couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. Everywhere they went, they were meeting people that, that hadn't heard about Jesus, that didn't know about Jesus, and they wanted people to have the same love of God that they had experienced. And so they couldn't help it. Everywhere they went, they shared the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Now, there's a theological point here that, that, uh, that Luke is making here, and here's the point. The gospel does not stop for anything. It doesn't even stop for persecution. Even when God's people are being persecuted, the gospel doesn't stop. Persecution can't stop the gospel. In fact, as we go along, we're going to find out that there's nothing that can stop the gospel. And I want you to notice who these folks are that are, being, that are going out here. These, it says the disciples, those who are being scattered. And the disciples is a little d. We're not talking about big d. We're not talking about the apostles. We're not talking about Peter, James, and John and all those big shots, all those, uh, you know, the preachers and all of that. They stayed in Jerusalem, evidently. The ones who went out were, were you know, just a common... We're just the common folk, you know, just the, just the lay men and, and the lay women. These are anonymous, ordinary believers. You know, there were, um, uh, there were candlestick makers and, uh, uh, and there were engineers maybe and there were operators and, and whoever. I mean, just all different. They were just ordinary people. But everywhere they went, they couldn't help but, but tell people about Jesus. And they crossed these geographical barriers. So, so geography couldn't stop the gospel because Jesus said, hey, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And sure enough, they end up, they end up going to the ends of the earth. They, I mean, gospel finally made its way to Brazoria. And, you know, if you think about it from, from uh, Jerusalem, Brazoria might very well be the ends of the earth. So, so they didn't let... Uh, persecution stopped them from sharing the gospel. They didn't let geography stop them from sharing the gospel. Everywhere they went, they found people who hadn't heard about Jesus, and they just kept on sharing the gospel. And then they crossed the cultural barriers. Do you see that? Because it says there in verse 19 that, that they weren't talking to anybody except Jews. But then some of them said, well, wait a minute. What about these Greeks out here? What about these Gentiles? What about these, should they? I mean, if God wants to save them, why, what are we, who are we to say no? So they begin to share the gospel with, with Greeks and with Gentiles and other people that, that a whole lot of folk would have said, no, uh, you can't share the gospel with them because they're not who we are, and so we need to, we need to just share the gospel with these folks because they're just like us. So, so now the gospel has crossed cultural barriers, and as you go, you find out that there's nothing that stops the good news. There's nothing that stops the gospel. There's nothing that stops God's people from sharing the gospel. Now, watch this. They were going, sharing the gospel, because the, the Christian church goes. But, but let's just pause here for a second and remind ourselves what it took to get these people to go, because remember, they were they were in Jerusalem. They weren't going anywhere until persecution came. And it was almost like, 
you know, they were saved. Uh, Jerusalem were their, were their hometown, and, and they're kind of like, hey, we, we need to be concerned about Jerusalem, right? And they were sharing the gospel with people in Jerusalem. And they got comfortable. Maybe they had their own pew, and, you know, they had their own church, and we're going to do our thing right here in Jerusalem. And Jesus has said, but, you know, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Starting in Jerusalem, Acts 1.8, he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but also in Judea. We're spreading out a little bit now, state of Texas, and, uh, and then Samaria. So we're going to go on into the United States, and then you're going to go to the ends of the earth, and you're going to share the gospel. And the people were kind of like, well, yeah, but we kind of like our Jerusalem, and so we're just going to kind of stay here. We're comfortable. These people we know, we're, in, we're into the culture. We, we know what people are thinking. We, so we're just going to stay here and do our own thing right here. And so God evidently said, well, you know what? If you're not going to go like I'm telling you you're supposed to go, well, I'm going to push you out. <laughs> and so persecution began. And, and, and you just think about this. God used ungodly people doing an ungodly thing because persecution, you know, of Christianity, I would think we would have a tendency to think that's a bad thing or an ungodly thing. Who wants to be persecuted, right? Who wants to be called names? Who wants to be beaten or whipped because of your faith? Nobody wants that, right? That's a bad thing, and it's perpetrated by ungodly people. But God used this ungodly thing by ungodly people to push his church out to the ends of the earth. I mean, just think about that. Why? Because the Christian church goes. And if the Christian church doesn't go, it can't be Christian and God, if he wants his church back, is going to have to do something to push his church out. God forbid that we would have to come to the place where we would have to be persecuted or whipped just to do what God said you're going to do. You with me? Is this amen or oh my? This is one of those oh my things. Oh, God help us, right? Why? Because the Christian church goes. And let's just say it again, beloved, we're not really a Christian church if we're just sitting comfortably in our pews and not, not going. Because remember, the church is not this building. You know, people drive by and say, there's First Baptist Church. They don't know what they're talking about because that's not First Baptist Church. This is First Baptist Church. And we go. Here in a minute, you know, hopefully soon, we're going to go home, Right? And tomorrow go to work or go back to school or maybe we're out of school, you know, or we're going to uh, go to the store or maybe some of us before too long are going to be, you know, going back to Lesotho or whatever to the ends of the earth. But we're going to be going. We've got to go. We can't help but going. And, and, and all I want us to see here is that we do this together. The going is not just one person. It's everybody. I mean, we're going to physically leave this building, but we're also going to go together across the street or across the world to share the gospel. And if we're not, then we're not a, a Christian church. You know, last week we had our team from Lesotho uh, share their uh, testimony. 
And, and I, I want to just mention again, because we tried to emphasize this last week. This is everybody. So we sent six. Six members of our church went to Lesotho you know, for two weeks, and they shared the Christmas gifts, and they told the Christmas story, and shared the gospel, and all these things. But that was all of us. I'll explain here in a minute how, you know, how that, uh, how we, we fund it. In fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you the offering uh, that we give, and the money that we give to our church week by week helps fund those things, because it's expensive to do that, right? But we're in this together. Can we, I just want to make sure, I emphasize this, we get it. We are in this together. You, Christian, are on mission with God. You, Christian, are on mission with God. Every one of us are on mission with God, and we're in it together as the church of God, as a Christian church. Okay? So our goal, and the reason we're going, is kind of like these folks, to share the good news to share the gospel. We don't just go to uh, because we want a, a new, you know, to see new sites or something like that. We go to share the gospel, the good news. And the good news is that Jesus saves and that it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what background you have, what color your skin is, or what or anything else. Jesus is mighty to save and he wants to save you. So, what does the Christian church do? First of all, it goes, it goes sharing Jesus. Okay? First thing. Second thing. The Christian church stays, okay? Now, I don't mean to contradict. I, I, I might could, the, the word really that I'm thinking of is perseveres, but perseveres, uh, I, I, wanted to, I want you to, to, to think with me for just a minute that we are or we have to be in this mission thing for the long haul. That it's not just a one-time thing we do. That's what I mean. So the Christian church goes but it stays, okay? So, so these things are happening in this place called Antioch. People are being saved. Gentiles are being saved, and they're not really sure. Is this good or bad or what? So they sent some folks back to the church in Jerusalem to kind of find out what they thought about it. And the church in Jerusalem, when they heard about it, they said, we need to send somebody up there to figure out what's going on. And so they picked this dude named Barnabas. Now, the name Barnabas means son of encouragement or the encourager, okay? So, so Barnabas is the encourager. We're told he was a good man, full of faith. That's why he got selected. I mean, one of our finest guys, you know, somebody that'll give us the, the right scoop and, and he'll be able to speak for us and we can trust him, Barnabas. So they send Barnabas up there to check things out, all right? Now look at what it says here. It says that um, in verse 23, when he arrived, so Barnabas comes from the church in Jerusalem, he saw the grace of God. Now, stop right there for just a minute. Let me ask you this question. How do you see grace? I mean, because grace is kind of an intangible thing, right? I mean, it wouldn't be like, hey, look here, right here in my hand, I got a big wad of grace. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not the way, that's not the way grace works, right? You, you can't necessarily see it. How do you see grace? Grace. I mean, it's very interesting. It says when he got there, he saw the grace of God. Well, I'll tell you, I saw. He was looking at people. He was seeing lives that were being changed by the gospel. He was seeing people that were living in sin, and, and now they had repented of their sin, and now they were living for God. He's seen men's lives being changed, men who were alcoholics and drunks and beat their wives and all, did all this other stuff, and their lives had been changed, and now they were... 
uh, they were working hard and they were taking care of their families and they were just living, you know, their faith out. They saw women whose lives had been changed by the gospel who were, you know, just all kinds of things. And now they were, you know, they're, they're, they're life, that, that's, the, that's the work of God in the life of people. That's the grace of God. And he could see that. I mean, he, it was a visible manifestation of the grace of God in the changed lives of people that, that these Christians had been, had been sharing the good, good news with. And Barnabas looked at it, and, and he saw their lives changed. And look at what it, do, what it says there in the last part of verse 23. It says, when he saw the grace of God, he was glad, that is, he rejoiced in that, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord. See that word remain, abide, stay in, okay? Stay the course. He didn't come in and say, hey, man, this is really cool. I see God's grace at work here. Okay, it looks like we're done. All right, we can go on to something else now. Or we can go back home or we can do our own thing. No, he said he encouraged them to remain. Now, he's encouraging the ones whose lives have been changed to remain in Christ. But he's also encouraging those who had come there and been sharing the gospel that they keep on. Don't quit. Remain. Stay. Stay the course. Keep going. I mean, I want you to notice he's fulfilling his, uh, he's fulfilling his namesake. It says he encouraged them. And he is the son of encouragement, after all. He encouraged them to stay with it. He encouraged them to remain in the gospel. Because, beloved, there's always a temptation. And many of us have felt it. Many of us have experienced it. To really get into it, to really uh, rejoice in something. Maybe we get really involved in church and, man, we're, you know, we're just really into it. Man, we're excited about it. But then, you know, we get busy with other stuff. And there's sports and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff. There's school and everything else. You know, we, we get busy with stuff. Or we get bored with what's going on. And so we want, you know, to find a little bit more excitement because that's just who we are. We kind of go from one, you know, excitement to that. There's always the danger, right, of just kind of dropping out. And we, we see this. We see this a lot not just in our church, in churches all over, in Christianity in, in the United States of America. There's a whole lot of people that just aren't into God anymore, in the church anymore, that at one time, man, you, you know, you wouldn't admit they would be there. You wouldn't admit they were involved and active, and then just stuff happened. Man, we, we, just, we just went on to something else. We just quit, right, for whatever reason. And so Barnabas says, hey, I, I don't want you to, don't quit. <laughs> I want to encourage you to continue on. You know, Jesus told a, a parable about uh, some seed that a sower went out and sowed one time. It fell on all different types of soil. And one of the types of soil it fell on was, was uh, uh, some thorny soil. So the, the soil was good, and the seed was good, and the seed sprang up. And it would have produced the crop, but it never got the chance because then the, the weeds or the thorns came up. And Jesus said, that's kind of like the cares of the world. You know, people just get involved in other stuff. And that other stuff becomes more exciting and all of that other, you know. And so it just quit. Well, beloved, a Christian is one who remains, who keeps going. A Christian church is one who stays, stays the course, keeps going. If we don't, what we show is that we're really not Christian. 
If we just stop halfway, if we go a little bit and then quit, or we get off into something else and we just really show, and this is individually or corporately as a church, we just show that we are really not Christian. And so the encouragement is keep on going. And do you know, I've been preaching a series of sermons from Hebrews. As I was preparing this, I was thinking, man, this sounds familiar. And so I went back to Hebrews. And, you know, over and over and over again, the writer of Hebrews does the exact same thing. For example, in Hebrews 2.1, he says, For this reason we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. Pay attention. Stay in there. In Hebrews 3.12, he says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, notice, if you turn away from the living God, it means that at some point you were there, man. You were going that direction. But then something else came up. You got busy with other stuff. I mean, other things became more important or more exciting or whatever, and so you turned away. He said that's an evil, unbelieving heart. really doesn't mince any words there. It's not just a pretty good heart. No. Well, you went, no, no, you went, you didn't finish. And a child of God, a believer, a Christian is someone who finishes, who stays the course. In Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, he says, so don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what is promised. And he's saying, keep on. Don't stop. Stay the course. A Christian church goes, but a Christian church stays. And so Barnabas comes and says, hey, stay with it. Keep after it. Don't quit. He's encouraging them to do uh, what the other believers have done just by coming. And then he does the same thing himself. So he says there that he went up to uh, Tarsus, and he found this dude named, named Saul, who now is a believer. He was a persecutor. Now he's a believer. And uh, they're beginning to see some things in him. They get him. They bring him down. Uh, and it says in verse 26 that for a whole year they met with the church and taught, taught large numbers. So that is, they just kept on. And they just kept on teaching. Why? Because people needed to grow in Christ. And what were they teaching? Well, we don't even have to guess that because Saul of Tarsus was there. And uh, he's going to become Paul the Apostle. And, you know, there's 13 letters here in the New Testament that he himself wrote with all of this teaching. We're going to find out exactly what he was teaching. Or that whole year they were teaching people how to grow in Christ, how to experience the joy of the Lord, how to live in it, how to walk in it, how to walk with each other, how to be the body of Christ, how to be the heart of God in this world. I mean, they, they taught and they went on and on and on. So, so here you see the, the Christians going, but you see them staying. They stay for the long haul. They don't quit. And if I were just to, you know, give a couple of examples for us, it would be as a church, for example, um, the, the prison ministry out there. Do you know that in this next year, I feel very confident of this, we're going to have a fully functioning church inside the Clemens prison unit and uh, they're going to have their own pastors that are going to be connected to us. They're going to have members. I think at some point they're going to have deacons. And, uh, and one of the first steps is, is we're going to ordain our field ministers out there as ministers of the gospel. In fact, you deacons, I want you to put um, January the 7th on your calendar. That's a Sunday. I need your driver's license number. We're going to go out there as deacons, and we're going to sit down with those guys, and we're going to do an ordination council, and then we're going to come back to the church. 
and uh, I need to get you on the gate list, okay? And uh, so we're going to go, and we've got other churches that are going to join us and go out there, and we're going to ordain them, and then we're going to, uh, uh, the church is going to be planted. Those folks are going to be connected to our church as um, uh, I can't remember the word at the moment, but they're going to be the kind of members that, that may not be living here, but what is it? Associate members, right? And so, and so when they get out, they'll be able, we'll be able to send a letter to a church where they go and say, hey, uh, this guy is a member with us. He's been walking with us. We've been discipling him. He's been a part of all these things. So receive him and get him active in the body of Christ. I mean, but, but you know, when I first went out there in 2017, I went out with a whole bunch of other pastors and, uh, and there were a whole lot of them that thought, well, that's good, but that's really not for us. And so they just didn't keep on going. And I learned very early that if you tell those folks out there, because they can't come here, if you tell them you're going to do something, you got to do it. And you got to stick with it, right? And you got to keep on. Because if you stop, then basically they're saying, yeah, I knew it. And they're just like everybody else. Because those guys have been let down over and over and over again. A Christian and a Christian church goes, but they stay in Lesotho, the same thing. You know, we're in this, we're in this Lesotho mission uh, endeavor for the long haul. We've set the goal of planting a church in each one of those villages, and that's going to take people going back over and over and over again. Maybe you'll be one of those folks who go. Maybe you'll be one of those who help send. Maybe you'll be uh, one of those who uh, are praying through this. But we're going to do this together, and we're going to keep on. We're going to keep on. You know, when I was... Um, uh, when I was a very first, uh, a very new pastor, and actually the year was uh, 1986, okay, and so you can count it up, so almost 40 years ago, I've been pastoring for 30 some odd years, all right, brand new pastor, Nolan Baptist Church, little, little church out in the middle of nowhere in West Texas, I know, not real West Texas, but central West Texas, and uh, I got to say that because I got people going, ah, that's not West Texas, but anyway, um, we came to a Christmas time, my very first Christmas as a pastor. We did the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We were talking about, you know, how this money is, all, all this other stuff. And uh, one of my deacons came up to me, a precious brother in Christ. His name is Bernard Jones. He's gone on to be with the Lord since then. And I don't really know if he was joking or being serious or just didn't quite understand, but he said, hey, pastor... You know, we talk about Lottie Moon every year. We come, we give this money to Lottie Moon. And I think our, our, our uh, goal that year is like $1,000 or something maybe. And so we're giving this money to Lottie Moon. He said, my question is, are we ever going to get that Lottie Moon woman paid off? <laughs> we just keep on giving, you know? <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. I'm not, I don't even remember what I said. But my response now is, well... When everybody, like I shared with the kids, when everybody in this world, all 8 billion, have the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it, then yeah, maybe we'll be done. But until then, and we still got a long way to go, we're going to keep on going. We're not going to quit because the Christian and the Christian church goes, but they stay. They stay the course. They endure. They keep on going, okay? Last thing, real quick. The Christian church shares it goes, stays, shares. And here when I say share, I could say gives. And that's what we're going to come to here in just a minute. But it's a little bit more than that. Because uh, sometimes this sharing is, is, is sending. You know, in the last couple of verses uh, that we read here in Acts chapter 11, uh, we saw that 
a prophet came down, uh, and his name was Agabus, and he prophesied. This is a biblical prophecy, by the way. He prophesied that there was going to be a famine that was going to come along. And then Luke tells us that it actually happened uh, during the reign of uh, Claudius. And Claudius was Roman emperor from 41 um, A.D. to 54 A.D., okay? And uh, so he reigned about 13 years. And in 46 A.D., uh, it is recorded that there was a drought in which it didn't rain for over a year in this area, and there was famine, and a lot of people starved to death. So this actually is a histor the, the historical setting is that. So 46 A.D. is when this happened. And so Agabus said, hey, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be a whole bunch of people die, right? And so the church there in Antioch said, well, what can we do? I mean, and so they said, we need to help folk out. And so they gathered an offering. I want you to notice that it says here that um, in verse 29, that each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief. So that is, everybody gave some, but, but some gave more and some gave less because everybody had differing abilities. Some were able to give more. Some weren't able to give that much. There weren't new needs that were created, so we're not going to take all of your stuff, so now you're going to starve. But, hey, God has blessed me, and I'm able to give a little, and, hey, I'm able to give something. And the church put it all together. And they sent it down as relief to the folks down in, uh, uh, down in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting about this, because we've seen this type of thing take place in Acts before. So in Acts chapter 2, the believers there in Jerusalem, they put all their stuff together, and they met the needs as they, they were actually started taking offering. When they started worshiping together, they took an offering, and then they would meet people's needs. And then in chapter 4, they do the same thing. But that's Jews helping other Jews. This now is Gentiles helping Jews. And it's a different church over here helping in a different place. And if you think about it, it's almost exactly, you know, what we're doing here. Because, because what, what we find is, is, that, is that there are needs in the body. And, you know, let me just, you know, just real quick tell you that, that when you give each week in, in your tithes and offerings, you know, what we do is we take that money and 90% of all of that we use, or actually 89%, we use to take care of, you know, the business of the church, right? To keep the lights on, to pay the preacher, whatever it is, we use that money here to take care of our local body. We take 11% of what you give week by week and we, um, we send it to what's called the cooperative program, which is all the other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. There's about 40,000 or so churches here in the United States and they do the same thing. Thing. They put their 10% or however much they give. Maybe some give more, some give less. And it's all put together. And then this money is used to fund the missionaries and, uh, and the work here in the United States of church planting and then uh, in the state of Texas and on and on. And, and maybe when there's a disaster like when Harvey came through, we had Texas Baptist men come down here who were uh, supported uh, through money that we had given through the cooperative program. And, and, and so you have those type of things. So it's the, the large your body of Christ has needs and is being taken care of. And then we take this type of offering, and our offering here is going to be divided um, 
Uh, half of what we give is going to go to support our missionaries, our international missionaries. A quarter of what we give is going to support the church planters that work here in the United States. 15% of what we give will be used here in the state of Texas in the ministry that's taking place through the Baptist churches here. And then we'll keep 10% for our own local missions because we're at work right here in our Jerusalem. So we've got our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Just like Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, Acts 1-8, right, in all of these places, okay? And so, and so this, is the way, this is the way this mission offering works, or this is the way our offering works, and this is the way our mission offering works. Now, folks, just one final thing I want you to see here. I want you to see that this giving or this sharing is a function of the grace of God. Remember back in uh, verse 20, was that verse 23, that Barnabas showed up there in Antioch and he saw the grace of God? He, he saw God's grace. Well, this offering was part of the outworking of God's grace among the people of God there. In fact, you know, as you, as you go back and you look, in fact, you study this in the New Testament, this word grace, you're going to find that this word grace is applied to this over and over again. Just a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 4, I mentioned that the church was taking an offering together and they were uh, meeting the needs of the people of God there in Jerusalem. And in, ver- and in Acts 4.33, it says, and great grace was on all of them. The context there is they're giving together and it says great grace was on all of them. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is writing to the church there at Corinth, the church that he has planted, and he is saying, hey, we're going to take an offering and we're going to share it with those folks back in Jerusalem. And uh, he says in the context of that, he says in chapter 8, verse 7, he says, now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. And the act of grace there he's talking about is the offering. It is an act of grace to take the things that God has given you, given it back to him through the body of Christ and sharing. And you hear the, uh, hear the chimes? We got new chimes installed this week. Praise God. We're going to reprogram so they don't go off in the middle of my sermon, but, uh, but that's what's going on. So just ignore that for just a second. I'm sorry. I thought we had that taken care of, but, but, uh, but uh, that may be part of God's grace as well. But here's the grace, okay? We are working. We are at, we, the grace of God is working through us, or it is the outworking of God's grace to give us the opportunity to share with one another, to share with those in need, to share with the larger body of Christ, to share so that missionaries can go and tell about Jesus. Because as we share, we look just like Jesus. This is why they were called Christians first in Antioch. It wasn't the last place they were called Christians. Praise God, there are still some Christians in a Christian church prayerfully here in Brazoria, Texas, <laughs> because as a Christian church, we're going to go, we're going to stay, and we're going to share. That's who we are. That's our DNA. We, we can't help it. And notice this church in Antioch, our church, made up of a whole different, a lot of, a lot of different kinds of people. There are, as I wrote down, Butlers, bakers, candlestick makers, engineers, mechanics, clerks, homemakers, on and on. Retirees, students, and all these people together because 
of the way they were living out this gospel, this good news. They were called Christians first. Now, beloved, whatever else you do, wherever else you go, whatever else you get involved with, and there's a whole lot of great things in this world, this life is full, great things to be involved with. You, child of God, are a Christian first. Christian first. And that means you're part of the Christian church. And together we go, we stay, and we share. And this isn't about any of us, so none of us are going to say, hey, look at what I'm giving or look at what I'm doing. This is all about Jesus. Because we're not sharing self, we're sharing Jesus. We're not saying look at us, we're saying look at Jesus. And beloved, I just want to say that when we talk about what we give or what we do, it might very, seem very, very small. And it might seem like insignificant, a few people, a little offering. But what is insignificant with us, God takes and moves. And really, the, the key of all of this, I said a moment ago it was, the Christians, but it actually is found back in verse 21 here. It says, the hand of the Lord was on them. The hand of the Lord was on them. As they went, as they stayed, as they shared, the hand of the Lord was on them. In other words, it wasn't them doing it. It was God doing it through them. The hand of the Lord was on them. And beloved, you and I might not be able to do anything, but God is not limited in any way. We see the gospel doesn't stop for anything. God has a way of making it move forward in us. It's the hand of the Lord. It's the hand of the Lord. It's the hand of the Lord. We do this in the power of the hand of the Lord. And you know what? If we're living under the power, we're living through the power of the hand of the Lord, then watch out, world. <laughs> watch out. Man, this offering, maybe as small as insignificant it might seem, and I would guess that together, I think last year we gave about $100,000, which is not insignificant to any of us, but maybe in the worldwide scheme, it doesn't seem like that much. God multiplied it, and he used it, and you know people have been saved to the ends of the earth. Praise God. That's something that you and I can be a part of. It's something that you and I can say, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, praise God. Great things he had done. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that we would be found faithful in the calling that you have placed upon our lives as individuals and as a church body. And God, I pray that, um, that we would be those who go and stay and, and share so that we could truly be called you know, Christians. So Lord, today, uh, right now, I pray that you would... Um, that, God, you would show yourself mighty in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives, in our giving. And, Lord, as we just demonstrate before you, not for anybody else, but for you, who we are, what we are, Lord, may the word Christian fit. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um,